1: This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by Glowworm Lights. Glowworm is a mountain bike light brand founded almost a decade ago by two mountain bikers in New Zealand. And today the company offers some of the highest quality bike lights on the market, including Bluetooth control and complete customization through their app. Glowworm's complete line of lights start at 1,200 lumens and range up to a blinding 3,600 lumens, all at reasonable prices. Save 15% off all light systems on the Glowworm website with the coupon code Singletracks2021. Shop for lights at glowwormlights.co.nz and be sure to check for the link in the show notes. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Singletracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Todd Branham. Todd has lived, worked, and played in the Pisgah National Forest of North Carolina for 22 years. He's a professional trail builder and also directs the Pisgah Stage Race, which is a five-day fully supported mountain bike race that showcases 140 miles of the best single track in the forest. Thanks for joining us, Todd.
2: Thank you. Glad to
1: be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, tell us a bit about your background. How'd you end up in Western North Carolina?
2: Well, I started uh, mountain bike racing back in college, Mm. and I found some of the races that were near Pisgah were amazing, but wondered why no races were in Pisgah. Mm. I was in love with the Pisgah and came up every weekend from South Carolina to ride all Mm -hmm. weekend, trained here, fell in love with it. So I applied for a permit with the U.S. Forest Service for the Swank 65 in 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah. So after gaining a permit with the Forest Service, I ran the first Swank race in Pisgah while I was living in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Which is a little challenging. Um, yeah. But that set me up to transition to Brevard to dig into the racing a little bit more in Western North Carolina.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: Yeah, why do you think nobody was running races in the National Forest? Was it just, like, too hard to get the permits, or just nobody even thought of that?
2: Both. No one had thought about it, and um, just, you know, I mean, you got to remember, in 95, they just put a sticker on the trails going, I mean, I think this would be good for mountain biking. (laughs) I know. So, you know, it was all really new to Pisgah. Mountain bike racing was fairly new at that point. I mean, we're only going into 10 years of organized races in the United States and being Mm -hmm. a new sport still at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we were still all kind of figuring it out.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Right. I mean, 95, late 90s, that doesn't seem that long ago to me. Seems kind of interesting to think about that mountain biking was so new. Then at least in that part of the country, and that people hadn't really thought of it about mountain biking in a place like Pisgah and to see where it is today, I mean,
2: it's it's changed a ton, hasn't it? Yeah, oh, amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. You know, the funny part, Jeff, is I still have my old—it's from ninety-nine racing bike, and the interesting thing is I'll ride it to town, and when I throw myself over that bike. The first thing that I notice is the geometry and how thin the mm-hmm. bars are, how long the top tube is, how uncomfortable it is. Mm-hmm. The gears are big, even the industry uh, mountain bike. That you know, you look at today's technology, yeah, and it's just spot on. I mean, the gears, the rubber, the su- the suspension, the geometry, everything is so nice. It doesn't surprise me these new riders are setting amazingly new fast paces. Mm. A lot of it's the technology, training, um, everything's come so far with the mountain biking. And you're right. It wasn't that far ago. Yeah. This
1: all happened. It was new. Yeah, that's interesting. Cool to
0: watch
1: it. Have you you ridden that bike then? Would you ride it on the trails in Pisgah today? I mean, do you think that's why more people are are riding there? Because it's like before you had to be pretty tough and you had to really want to ride there with those bikes. And on today's bikes, is it, do you think maybe it's a little easier and that makes the trails feel a bit more accessible?
2: It's a little bit. I mean, you know, you can't change the grades, the rise to the runs are always going to be hard. I mean, you've got to have the power the lungs to do all that, but it definitely has opened up the sport to people, makes it feel a little more comfortable, especially Pisgah coming from, the lowlands to Pisgah you, with the suspension, mm-hmm. you can let it all dial it in to where it fully works. And uh, Pisgah is a little bit more manageable, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it's, it's definitely not going to pedal your bike for you. It makes it manageable, but, you know, that comes at, with a price, too. And the prices of bikes nowadays are, are unbelievable. Right, yeah. Uh, They're top-notch prices, but a top-notch bike as well. So, um, you know, again, it's amazing to see how far we've come.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we should mention too, I mean, we did in the intro that you're a trail builder and, you know, even the style of trail building has changed over the years and have in a lot of ways, it's probably brought people into the sport and it has gotten people out riding places that maybe they couldn't ride before. Would you say, say that's part of it?
2: Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, I think some of the reroutes that, you know, in particular in Disga that were. I mean, when you look back, people rode them, but they weren't real popular. And now that they've been reworked,'re super popular. A couple of reasons are they're not in the water anymore. They've avoided a bunch of streams, which people actually enjoy. I like going through water, but not so many water crossings. We want to keep them clean. <laughs> right Just the education of trails has come so long a long way as well. you know, the grade dips, uh, the erosion control, the contouring of land. It's interesting to look at that and look at Pisgah and you know, there's a lot going on in Pisgah that could use some work. Hmm. But as you see, the trails are slowly getting reworked. So yeah, it's Yeah, that's cool to see.
1: A lot of a lot of knowledge, I feel like we're gaining over the years about how to do those things sustainably and like what makes a good trail. And so, yeah, it's always changing. Well, tell us what makes Pisgah National Forest and sort of the surrounding area as well stand out among mountain bike destinations.
2: Well, I think one thing in particular, the temperate rainforest riding combined with big mountains Mm. that offer riding all winter long makes Pisgah unique in itself. Mm -hmm. Not many places do you have this much elevation gain that you can play around with. And it not be covered in snow in the winter months. Yeah. You know, then you top that off with one of the most densely packed and connected trail systems within the United States. I mean, you know, it's a must ride destination for any riding enthusiast, Mm. for sure. Yeah. It's a bucket list. You got to come taste (laughs) Pisgah. Yeah. And you, you called
1: it a temperate rainforest. I remember. I was saying something to my kids about that saying like, Oh, you know, this is a rainforest. And they were like, they're like, what? Like this is a rainforest. You know? I mean, that sounds like so um, exotic and and wild and it is, I mean, it's, it's a really cool environment to be riding bikes in. And there's not, you know, a lot of places around the country where you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Most
2: of them uh, do not allow bikes in. So Pisgah is super unique. And when you go, you know, you get back in there, you see it. Yeah. You see how unique these are the plant life and the amount of water and the moss and the trees. Um, it, it, it's very unique. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that label comes from a certain gauge of water, rainfall that we get each year is where that temperate rainforest label comes from right under a temperate rainforest but it is very exotic and quite uh, you know quite frankly not a but a handful of temperate rainforests are even within the united states interesting global warming it's not they're not abundant so hmm. it's neat to have that and be able to explore inside of it
1: yeah, yeah, that's cool. And so many of the destinations in the US, you know, the the best known ones tend to be like in the desert or like, you know, these drier environments. So again, yeah, that really makes Pisgah stand out for people who haven't ridden in that kind of environment. So let's talk about specific places to ride in Pisgah National Forest and then maybe just outside as well. We could expand the area. So for someone who is visiting for the first time, what are like two or three must-ride trails or trail systems that they're going to want to try out?
2: First time, you definitely want to start easier on the easier trails in Pisgah Mm -hmm. because the easy in Pisgah is typically the moderate in other places. Right. Um, so I would recommend the trails around the Fish Hatchery or Gray, Bent Creek, or North Mills River area for first timers. Okay. The hills are a bit more gentle. It's a good warm up, you know, to the next level of Pisgah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And then for
1: people who maybe are a little more um, experienced or who have been there a few times, what's kind of the next level trail system that they're going to want to ride?
2: Um, I think, you know, that the the newer stuff around the um, Ranger Station, Bennett Gap, Mm -hmm. Avery Creek, Black Mountain, those I would say next because they've recently had some trail work. So while they're gnarly, the elevation gains are big. You're going to feel the Pisgah steam Mm -hmm. from that. but. You know they're not so rough like some of the other trails, Farlow Gap, or some of the Pilot the ones that haven't been reworked quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that are good, they're just raw. You know, what I mean, right. and what I mean by that—a a better definition would be something that's gnarly but predictable. Mm-hmm. You come around the corner, and you're not going to see a two-foot drop off <laughs> right. on, on the trails. So just where sometimes in Piz good, you know, erosion gets to things and. You might come along and there might be a five, four-foot drop-off out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So you have to be yeah. super alert. So I think those trails, you know, again, back to North Mills River, those were reworked, you know, five to eight years ago. They've gotten quite chunky. Even though they're just mm-hmm. built by a machine, the rocks have come out. Mm-hmm. They're quite challenging, you know, not not the big Pisgah climbs, but definitely some climbing in a network within North Mills River that will wear you out, yeah. you know, and give you a great taste of, you know, what's next, what's bigger, what's the big stuff. Yeah. And the big stuff is very challenging. You know, you have to be quite fit, both technically and physically to tackle those things.
1: Right. For sure. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned like Black Mountain. I feel like that's the one that people talk about the most. And, you know, if you've ridden it, you're going to brag to your friends and say, oh, if you go, you got to ride that. But because of that, it seems to be one of the more busy trails, too, where you're going to see a lot of people out there. So, yeah, are there are there trails where maybe you can get a similar experience, but it's
2: not going to be as crowded? Yeah, I think if you're starting to go up towards the Cradle of Forestry up in that area, you can access mm-hmm. you know some of the stuff like Laurel Mountain Pilot Rock from that end, avoiding parking at North Mills River Campground. That's one of my favorite places to start and finish your ride. There's so many options. You can go over towards the fish hatchery. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing, Jeff, is you're hitting the upper parts. When you really look at it, the upper parts is where everybody's parking at the fish hatchery. They're doing the stuff close to the fish hatchery. You're doing the stuff furthest away from the fish hatchery, closer to pink beds. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, you're doing... Just that tip of Laurel Mountain, and you can drop into uh, Turkey Pen. You can drop into all those areas, but you're doing the backside of all those areas. You, you're kind of in the right. core of the forest. Yeah, um, so there's some good stuff there that you can ride for hours and not see anyone. Yeah, that's cool.
1: I remember we did a ride up there on Laurel Mountain, and you know, you mentioned like for people who are coming from outside the area, you know, like a moderate. Pisgah ride is going to be a difficult one. And you're not exaggerating, right? Like people are going to hear that and say, oh, but you know, I'm really good. And so moderate to me, that's moderate. But I just remember on this ride, we had a guide uh, that was taking us up Laurel Mountain. And she was saying, yeah, you know, this loop we're going to do will probably take us like five or six hours or something. And we're all like, okay sounds good. And we said, how, how far is it? How how many miles are we going to ride? And she said, 18. well, she, she said, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and we're all like, well, that's weird. Like, why don't you want to tell us? And she said, look, you know, if I tell you, you're going to say, oh, that that's not very far. We'll, we'll do that quick. But out here, rides are measured in time rather than distance. And, you know, I found that to definitely be true. Cause Some of those rides are really tough.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good measurement. That's a very smart way to run a tour is to not tell the distance, just tell the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And on that ride, yeah, we didn't even ride 20 miles. Yes, like you said, it might have been closer to 15 or something, but, you know, we felt it. And we were like, yep, that was far enough.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and what you can't change is that rise to the run, that elevation gain. That's what gets people is... Technical is fun. You know, it's great. People come up here and they're ready for that. But so much technical, it becomes physically challenging mm. going up or down at some point because you just get so worn out. Yeah. And then if you talk about being out there four or five hours, man, if you don't have your nutrition dialed in, you can really start to suffer. Right. So um, it's challenging. You know, you really have to be over prepared. For Pisgah, and even in the summertime, you know, it's great 90 degrees. <laughs> you get up to the top of Laurel Mountain, and what happens? A rainstorm, mm-hmm. and man, it's like 60 degrees, I and mean, it's cold. Yeah, you're not prepared, it'll, it'll have you know, you'll have a bad experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, Pisgah, definitely, you know, you, again, you got to be uber prepared and almost over prepared.
0: Yeah, that's,
1: that's so true. Well, before we scare everybody off and they say, well, I can't go to Pisgas. That sounds, sounds scary. Are there some family friendly rides in the area? Like if you are traveling with, with kids or maybe beginners, are there, are there some good places to ride as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the Forest Service is currently working on, you know, doing more of this. But Mm. um, at the entrance of the forest, you can park at the ranger station and there's something called the East Trail that connects to North Slope. And then North Slope has just a very bottom section that's really cool, goes along the river. So like zero elevation gain on all this I'm talking about. It's really nice. And then those trails, are, you know, good sight lines. They're like gravel trails. They're not raw natural surface trails. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the bottom of the North Slope is a natural surface trail, but it's an old four-service road. But they're fairly wide, you know, at least five foot wide. So you can, you know, get past or pass pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then those trails go... All the way out to Lowe's, which is just on the outside of the forest. Mm -hmm. And then the pathway continues from there, which is six foot wide and paved. Very little elevation gain. and goes all the way into Brevard. Oh, cool. Five miles. So, you know, certainly something that's open to families. You get a little bit of forest. You get a little bit of urban riding. But that's a great, and I see families on that all the time. Mm,
0: Cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, another one that I've heard, I haven't been in years, but um, it seems like DuPont. I mean, DuPont State Forest is not part of Pisgah, um, but it's it's close by to Brevard and some of the Pisgah trails. Is that a good spot for more beginner riders or people who want something that's a little bit more like flow trail style?
2: Absolutely. And what a beautiful place DuPont is. Um, yeah, it's really close. It's 20 minutes from Pisgah. And again, offers 140 miles of trails. I mean, there's no wow. Yeah, there's no lack of trail in there. Um, and all connected. Super nice, mostly machine-built trails, very different than Pisgah in the technical aspect Mm -hmm. and the climbing aspect. I would say that if you come up for the first time to the Brevard area, I would actually recommend going there first, just so you can see you know what it's all about, how you feel they definitely more flow trails and then jump into Pisgah. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing my training for races, I do that. I train all in DuPont and slowly work my way up to Pisgah because Pisgah, again, can be really hard. Right. You know, you're doing that all the time. You're climbing all the time. It's tough. You can tackle a little more at DuPont. Mm-hmm. Big waterfalls at DuPont that you can go explore. So Yeah, super beautiful. Yeah, much more family-friendly loops over there, smaller loops. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the paved path that goes into town and that connects people to the forest. There's also a trail, I believe that you're – Trail building company helped build at Bracken Preserve. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And that's one that that starts right in town, and and you can also connect to the forest via single track, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Right out of the back of the music center. It's itself got 10 miles of trail within Bracken, and then you connect over the hill, Mm -hmm. and you can end up at the fish hatchery or the ranger station. Oh, cool. So really nice connectivity from town into the forest. Yeah. Yeah, that's great.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the organizations and the folks who are building and maintaining trails in the Pisgah area, is there like one main trail group that does this or, or are there multiple groups that kind of work together?
2: Well, all the new trails were built by members of the professional Trail Builders association mm. and the trails are put out for the bidding process mm-hmm. to the professionals, but they are designed by the U S forest service.
1: Mm. Interesting.
2: Yeah. And the overall type of trail is also designated by the Forest Service. So whether it be an easy trail, or we want this technical, or we want horses on it, mm-hmm. um, there's certain you know prescriptions for that, that that make the trail a little different. And then I always love telling people this because it's, it's just a great fact that mm-hmm. people really don't know, but all of the trails in the Pisgah District are, are maintained by volunteer groups. Oh wow! That's right. One hundred percent of the maintenance on the trails in the forest are done by volunteers, which is wow, amazing. Pisgah Area Sorba, the Backcountry Horsemen of America, and Pisgah Conservancy are the main groups that currently conduct the most volunteer work. Okay, Uh, these are all nonprofit groups and are open to the public to join them. Mm, Cool.
1: Yeah, and so are, are a lot of those. I guess a lot of those folks are local. It seems like that's a lot of work to maintain all those trails, especially since you're getting people from all over the country, heck, all over the world, that are riding there. Does that get to be kind of overwhelming for those groups to to keep those trails maintained?
2: Very overwhelming. And what's happened is, is um, you know, of course, each group wants a particular trail, so then there's some crossover. So what the Forest Service has done is actually assigned trails to different groups. Okay to work on so we can divide and conquer and um, occasionally um, you'll get some maintenance stuff um, as a professional trail builder but on some trails but most of it's just rework mm. but but in a nutshell what you're going to get and see in Pisga as a default of what you just mentioned is that's a lot of work it is a lot of work and what you're going to see is unless it's a vital connector mm-hmm. that connects two trail systems together you will not see any new trails built in Pisgah. Hmm. You will only see reworked trails in Pisgah for the most part. Interesting. Yeah. For that reason, because if we produce more trails, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We can't maintain it. Right. And in fact, thinking in a different vein, reworking uh, when you step into a, a maintenance position, what you quickly see is the newer trails that are being built, have less maintenance. Mm. Not because they're new, because of the way they're designed and built. The older trails require a lot of maintenance. Oh, right. And I think can quickly see the difference in technical and erosion. Mm. And those two are similar but very different. Yeah. What happens by default is all the volunteer efforts go into fixing erosion on the old trails until mm-hmm. they can get built yeah so you know everybody's hands are full and with that being said you know, no new trails will really happen again unless they're vital connectors from one system to another
1: yeah i mean that makes sense for the reasons that you mentioned are there ways that visitors can sort of give back and contribute and make sure that those volunteers are supported and that the trails continue to be maintained
2: Yeah, any of those um, groups I talked about, I mean, you can just jump in for the weekend, sign a waiver, and, and, you know, if you're in town, um, you can always pop into the Pisgah Ranger Station, and they can direct you to do things, you know, what group's going on. But, you know, one thing to understand is you have to be associated with a group to do any kind of maintenance in the forester because they like to account for you they like to account for what works going on Mm -hmm. they like to know so if one of these groups show up you know and there's a report a couple of trees down on the trail somebody didn't go out and do it already and then these guys spend all this time going in to get these trees out but the easiest way to give back is this if you're out exploring in pisgah having a good time and you take note of trees down. Mm-hmm. Go to the forest Service ranger station and report those where they're at mm. on the on the trail. And those get back to these groups, and then the groups go take care of. Them. Yeah, interesting.
1: I always feel bad about doing that. I mean, not bad, but I feel like, am I really doing much by reporting it? Right? Because somebody's got to do the actual hard work of it. But it sounds like yeah, that is that is a helpful thing to do. So I'll probably probably try to do more of it.
2: Yeah. Well, and you know, you're talking about big trees that are, you know, a mile. I mean, stuff that you have to have a chainsaw for. Mm-hmm. I think you know, brushing out trails with a little saw, a little folding handsaw. I mean, that that's just mountain bike culture, man. Everybody's gonna do that. I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. But um, you know, toting a chainsaw out, toting tools out and clearing drains. That's more of what I'm talking. About. Like that kind of needs to be accounted for.
1: Right. That makes sense. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, but when we come back, we're going to talk about tours and places to stay and events to attend all in Pisgah. Stay tuned. The next time you're shopping for mountain bike gear, check out singletracks.com slash deals. Each week, we share our favorite product picks and exclusive coupon codes from our partners. You can also use the page to search for whatever you're buying, from complete mountain bikes to brake sets and tire sealant. That's singletracks.com slash deals. And to get our weekly picks delivered to your inbox, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Links to the newsletter and deals page are in the show notes. And we're back. So, Todd, uh, who are some of the tour operators or clubs even that visitors can connect with if they want to ride with some of the locals?
2: Um, There's several in the area. You can, um, you know, any of the bike shops have organized bike rides. You can always look at their website and figure it out. If you're looking for a tour, Mm -hmm. you know, a paid tour, there's plenty of those. Uh, Pisgah Mountain Bike Adventures is one. Mm -hmm. Red Wolf Mountain Bike Tours. The Bike Farm is another. Mm -hmm. Blue Wall Adventures has some pretty cool tours. And then um, for mountain biking, rock climbing, water and everything, Pura Vita Adventures out of Pisgah Forest has uh, a nice little program that they offer as well. Okay,
1: cool. Are there many shuttle rides available in Pisgah? I know know I've seen some signs out there. I don't know if they're official or not, but they've got a little picture of the Shuttlecock from badminton, right? And it's got like a line through it. No shuttlecocks. Yeah. And I assume that means people don't like people shuttling certain trails so are there though like officially supported shuttle rides that people can do in the area
2: there are you know you could do it with any of these companies i've just mentioned and uh it's not Mm -hmm. they don't like to offer it too much you know but (laughs) it it happens yeah but it's going on all the time and when we see it all the time there's certain trails that you know and there's certain riding styles that's what people want to do and there's no rules They can't do that. One thing to notice in Pisgah, though, that's on the same vein is you won't ever see a downhill race in Pisgah. From the management standpoint, when you're doing test runs, you've got 200 people would be the limit test runs. And then actually probably two runs, let's just say on Bennett Gap, if you could shuttle that. You would yeah. Think about the wear and tear and the nature of that type of racing, skidding in the corners and out. Because you're looking for the fastest time, mm-hmm. um, Pisco doesn't accept that. You know, they're not going to have an organized event that does that. They already have to accept that people are already doing that, riding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but think about how quickly that would wear the trails out.
1: Yeah. And it seems like a lot of them too, even if you could shuttle them, there's still going to be a fair amount of pedaling. I mean, you mentioned Bennett gap. I feel like that one, you got to climb a little bit from the road even to get to the start of that. And it's pretty short too. I mean, that would be a lot of, a lot of work to like shuttle up for a, I don't know, 20 minute descent maybe or less. So yeah, that's interesting. What about e-bikes? Are, are e-bikes allowed on any of the trails
2: in the forest? Not in the forest or in uh, DuPont. Mm, okay. they You can ride them on the Forest Service roads mm-hmm. in Pisgah, but in DuPont, since it's a state forest, it's just gated all the way around. You can't even be on the Forest mm-hmm. Service roads in there or the state. Four. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So I guess the rule, if it's open to vehicles, that's where you can e-bike, but otherwise
2: you can't. Correct. Yeah. So the Brevard Pathway in town, you could use that on an anyway. e-bike. all right yeah you can connect into this but uh but yeah that's yeah and i think i think that's going to change in the future they're going to figure out some trails that are e-bike and some that are because i don't feel like it's going away right and it's not necessarily bad the e-bike it's the nature in which you ride the e-bike i think they're Mm -hmm. you know if you get out there and thrusted it could it could be problematic yeah Um, if you go high speeds on certain trails and you're passing people that could be problematic right i don't think it's going away i think we're going to find a way to (laughs) work with e-bikes and all get along
1: right yeah definitely definitely yeah once there's more rules around it in terms of yeah making it clear where you can and can't ride them and and having some places available so people don't feel like they have to poach trails or, or ride where they're not supposed to that's a good point. That's right. So are there shops or places in town where people can rent decent mountain bikes for the day or even the week? Do you see people coming who are like multi-sport and say, oh, I want to want to try mountain biking? Is that a thing? And, and can they rent bikes?
2: They can. Yeah. And I do see that. You know, funny thing here. You know what I see a lot of is people coming to Pisgah and going back to being prepared. They're prepared, but their bike's not. Mm-hmm and it explodes (laughs) Oh (laughs) and they need a bike that's where i see a lot of rentals coming from so there's four bike shops in town now oh wow at the entrance at the entrance is the hub Mm -hmm. of the forest and then um just outside the entrance is sycamore cycles which they're getting ready to add a new shop downtown brevard too oh wow so they're gonna have two locations here and then downtown Brevard Re- proper, you've got Squatch Bikes. And then the newest one, Earth Mountain Bicycle, that's downtown Brevard. Re- okay. So, and all those places rent bikes. Cool.
1: Yeah. One of the things I hadn't thought about, we were just talking with someone in Moab and they were saying how the shops there are really good about turning around repairs because the reason that you mentioned, you know, you bring your bike and you break your bike and. You know, you don't want that to ruin your vacation. So is, is that a thing in Pisgah as well? Are the shops good about doing that? I mean, I know right now they're probably slammed with work, but is that something people can expect or, or are they going to need to rent a bike? Like you said,
2: no, nah, they're pretty, um, you know, there, there, are certain things that you're going to tear up. here. You're going to tear a derailleur up. You're going to go through your brakes or your pads, you know, cleats on your shoes, yeah. stuff like that. All the shops are pretty stocked up with that, and there's certain times of the year that you see that stock increase. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting time that I find interesting the Sycamore Cycles works with us for the Pisgah stage race. Mm-hmm. And when you've got people coming in from out of town all over the country and the world that have different types of bikes and equipment, yeah, you should see what they stock up before that race because you know you can't leave somebody hanging. When they've come for a five-day event, they need a piece, a derailleur, or something. You, you got to have it. Yeah. So it's it's an overstock during that event um, because those people are. I mean, they want to keep riding.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they want to ride their bike. They don't want to have to get on an unfamiliar bike on day two or day three. Oh, that'd be hard. That's fascinating. I wonder, too, if they're, like you said, there's certain parts like tires, maybe, you know, people show up and after day one on on your Pisgah stage race, they're like, oh, shoot, like, I need a a much burlier tire here. And so they're upgrading and and that sort of thing. Yeah. Interesting. I think that and
2: dropper post. Hmm. believe it or not, the amount of people that come here and go, dude, I don't have a dropper post. Everybody (laughs) has a dropper post. And I know why. Yeah, and then rush into the shop and they buy a dropper post, right? So, and again, you know, we're in a good situation to have those at any size, any bike on the fly because Fox is just up the road from us now, right there, yeah, just right up in Asheville. So,
1: yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, this the shops there are definitely well stocked, much better than my local bike shops are for sure. And it's always a surprise too because. You know, Brevard is a small town. Asheville, Asheville is a decent size, but you know, for the size of town, they've got way more bike shops, and they're way better stocked than than what most of us are used to. So that's that's really good to know. So, where do visitors tend to stay when they're visiting Pisgah? I know there are a number of campgrounds that are in the area. Is that a pretty popular option for people?
2: Yeah, you know, currently right now, uh, roadside camping in Pisgah is closed due to the overcrowded sites and the understaffed personnel. Oh, wow. All roadside camping. All roadside camping, yeah. Davis Campground is now the most popular place to camp in Pisgah because it's really the only place in Pisgah to camp. Wow. It's kind of an unfortunate situation, but I think it'll change hopefully summer of 2022. But, you know, between that and COVID, mm-hmm. uh, when they shut down. And they just they have never opened back up um so yeah they're and they're posted you know no camping it's interesting time um for that but um dry beds are very popular in town now. <laughs>
1: yes it's a rainforest after all
2: yeah and i think people um you, you know i mean again going back i mean i've been here a long time and i've watched the forest grow and it, you know, a lot of people used to camp and ride out, and it, it, demographics, demographics have changed. The bikes are more expensive. People want a hotel. They want to like, really bury themselves in Pisgah and come home and take a shower and sleep in a bed and then go hard again the next day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, I don't think we've seen year after year at the Pisgah Stage Race five days in a row, there's no one that camps. Oh, really? Everybody. I mean... Man, that's tough. Five days. You got to give yourself a little bit of luxury in life, you know. <laughs> I think a, a, a bed is one of them. So, yeah. But I've seen that trend uh, more and more in Brevard, and mm. you know, people saying because there's more hotels now too. We just had a new one built, a new Holiday Inn Express that just opened up, and mm. there's big plans of another one coming in. So, I mean, it's it's growing. Oh wow. Uh, but the coolest one by far, close to the entrance of the fork, is is Pilot Cove. Mm-hmm. Those are like uh, treehouse units with flow trails out of the back, big wooden burn. It's really cool. Uh, but you can ride. It's located just behind the hub, and you can ride from there into the forest.
1: Yeah, I've stayed there. That place is really nice. That's that's my ideal situation because yeah, you're close to the trails. You know, you you could ride to them if you didn't want to get in the car and, you know, like you said, it's a, a bed and a dry place to, to be at night. So yeah, that's a great option.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like that place a lot.
1: Yeah. And then there's also some other kind of unusual, not unusual, but unique places you can stay Uh like the bike farm. I believe they, do they still do like platform tents that you can camp on. Is that their thing? So they've moved locations
2: now, and they're really close to Pilot Cove. And I think they just do camping now, just flat camping. I don't think hmm. – it's a little bit smaller facility. I know they do the guided rides and the clinics, and they do offer camping. But I don't I don't think it's quite what it used to be uh, on that end of things. Hmm.
1: Interesting. And then, obviously, I guess there are probably Airbnbs in town that, that people can find – so, yeah, a lot of options there for places to stay.
2: Yeah, and, the, and any of the uh, Airbnbs, they're pretty good as far as letting bikes in the house and having a wash outside the house. It's amazing to see that that group of people cater to the mountain bike crowds. It's very cool. Yeah, that's that's
1: awesome. That's a funny thing that I, I don't think about, right? Because to me, it's like, yeah, of course I bring my bike in my house, but then you stay some places and you read the fine print and it's like,
2: no bikes inside.
1: You're like, what? My bike is part of my family. It needs to be in here. But yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah the signs here just say, please don't lube your bike inside. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got to draw the line somewhere. So yeah, yeah. We have to makes clean, sense.
2: clean your bike yeah. and work.
1: So you mentioned that Pisgah is unique because you can ride there year round. I mean, there's not going to be like snow on the ground for much of the year. So what are the kind of the best times of year to visit if you could choose choose your moment to to hit the trails there? I think definitely
2: spring and fall because um, the crowds aren't so bad. Mm. Um, summertime is amazing. It's definitely the best time, but you'll need to hit the trails pretty, pretty uh, early to beat the crowds on that. Yeah, You know, something that people don't realize in in the district of Brevard um, is the Forest Service does not allow any events to take place in the summer months in the Pisgah proper district here in Brevard because it is so busy. Really? Yeah. So you've got all the visitors coming here. You've got all the waterfalls. And on top of that, there's 17 camps within the counties, three counties around us, all operated Oh, like summer camps. Summer camps, and they're all in Pisgah. So, you know, if you went to apply for a running event, horseback event, mountain bike, cycling event of any type, any event in Pisgah in June, July, or August, they would not even look at it uh, for that reason.
1: Huh. Wow. Makes sense.
2: Yeah, because it... yeah, there, there's a whole management behind that forest. You know, again, that's the, the trails need to be reworked. We need to control how many people are coming here. It's it's tough, man. And it's interesting to see their management program, the Forest Services, um, because it's a big picture plan. You know, and it's smaller pieces that add up to make a, a bigger picture of things. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, just how busy it really is in the summertime here. Yeah yeah
1: i I didn't realize that myself i mean for me it's it's sort of hot like i don't really think i mean it's cooler there than than here in georgia for sure in the summer um i always imagined that like leaf season was like the big time like september october what what's kind of your i mean you live there so you can ride whenever you want what's your favorite time to hit the trails when are they like in the best shape would you say
2: you know, I like them in the spring, just because of the the flora. You see the flowers, the color, and you can still see across the mountains. Oh, right. You can see how big they are, which you know, in a couple months after that, it's just covered. And you can't really get the big views. Mm-hmm. But it's just there's there's you know, back to that temperate rainforest. There's such a sign of life in the forest in spring with all everything blooming and the smells. It's just in the sunlight that time of the year, and and no one's here. So, you know, the trails are vacant. I mean, no one's around, and you're starting to see the trees drink, so you're starting to see the trails dry out from the winter months, and it's just spectacular to see all that happen. Um, And then right when it all happens, you know, sure enough, everybody starts coming, and it's like, man, it's just so cool to see the forest prep itself. For all the vacations coming and the traffic it's going to have through its hard months, it's neat.
1: Yeah. Well, you've inspired me. And hopefully your secret's not out now and you're not going to just get overrun with people <laughs> in the spring. But I'm definitely putting that on my list to do, to get up there that time of year. That's awesome. Cool. Well. It seems like mountain bike races and festivals are also a really big draw for visitors to the forest. So tell us about some of the races that you help organize there during the year.
2: Okay. The Pisgah Stage Race um, is definitely our biggest show. It's international and based out of Revoir here. And it showcases five days in Pisgah. Mm. So five days in a row. And it's about 30 miles a day. So, you know, it's enough that it's going to hurt, but you can recover and do it again. But the intrigue to stage racing is everybody knows the Tour de France, and, you know, you scratch your head how these guys do that day in and day out. And then this is this is a great way if you're um, from out of town or international and you keep hearing about Pisgah. Well, think about it this way. The stage race is a five-day organized tour right basically that you're gonna see the best of pisgah with rest stops camaraderie of people you can get your fastest time because when you show up you're not training anymore you already trained to ride five days in a row you're out there having fun you're doing your best effort that you can and wherever you end up that's where you end up yeah um, and most people aren't racing it they're just having fun and exploring pisgah and enjoying it and i think that's um that's our funnest event I really like that one. And then we've got more grueling ones that really let you taste a whole area in one day, such as the off-road assault on Mount Mitchell. Yeah. One's 60 miles, 10,500 feet in one Whoa. day. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I just went through the course of my head. Yeah, I'm <laughs> That one, though, is if you're in the mountain bike race world, you've heard of it, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it is a must-do. Every year, yeah. we get a fresh crop of people that, that do this, and um, it's tough. I mean, it starts at a lower elevation of 1,200 feet and goes all the way up to 5,800 feet. So
1: it's… wow, And you can't do that kind of elevation anywhere else on the East Coast that I can think of. You know, a bike race that goes that high and and starts that low
2: too i mean that's that's huge it's huge it's amazing and, and i think that's the whole draw to western north carolina is that is that you can come in the winter time and you can do these big climbs and it, they're not covered in snow very rarely are they covered in snow and if they are it's a couple of days so um and i think our our Coolest event, you know, one-day event is definitely the Swing 65, which is the longest-running mountain bike race in Pisgah. Um, and it's back in the first permitted mountain bike race in Pisgah back in 1998. Right. But, you know, we've got a new course now. After years of being over by the fish hatchery, we've moved to the trails by the ranger station, and um, it, it's nice. It's Those trails have come a long way. They've got a lot of work done on them. They're really fun. It's easy to get in and out of the forest for people coming to. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, picking it mid-November, it's not real busy anymore in the forest. So, you know, all the trails are open, no traffic. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah. And, you know, thinking about the Pisgah stage race, you're doing 30 miles a day, roughly for five days. I mean, that race covers so many trails. And you know, I've been, I've been coming up to Pisgah for years and I'm sure I haven't done half the trails on that race. And so, yeah, like you said, that's such a great opportunity for someone to go basically get to sample, you know, some of the best of the trails in the forest and kind of come away with saying, yeah, I've ridden there. (laughs) I know it. And yeah, that's, that seems really cool. And then ORAM, the off-road assault on, on Mount Mitchell. That's in kind of a different area too, right? For, yeah. for folks who aren't familiar, that's like on the other side of Asheville, right? So it's kind of a different set of trails over there. Yeah, it's
2: like North Asheville. And, and the trails over there are a little different. You know, they're a little more rocky, mm-hmm. not so much undulation up and down, just more you're going up or you're going down.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So and they're pretty rigid over there, mountains. It's Yeah.
1: Yeah. Are there other events that tend to draw mountain bikers to the area there during the year?
2: Yeah. You know, um, what's big now that the mountain bikers are doing the gravel rides. They've got a the gravel bike and they're doing it with the mountain bike. And uh, some of the ones around the Dirt Diggler gravel grinder, the Belgian waffle ride is a new one that just came around. Mm-hmm. Um, the Monster Cross, those are all ones that take place near Pisgah or in Pisgah. Mm-hmm. super popular yeah and just a lot of mountain bikers that don't road bike but have a gravel bike that want to get that extra fitness level mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's an amazing I'm, I'm blown away at how quickly that discipline is grown
0: yeah
1: yeah what are the courses like i mean i'm I imagine it's a lot of climbing i mean when people say gravel that's like a big range right you got like Gravel races in Kansas where it's not a lot of climbing. Um, but then I imagine one in the Pisgah area is going to be a lot different from that.
2: Yeah. You know, and um, there's a, in the ones I just mentioned, um, you got to be careful about that because, yes, you can, like, it's like the Belgian waffle ride. It is made to destroy you. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it's 90 or 135 miles with, you know, 10 to 15,000. It's super hard, but. It is a, you know, it's something that is super popular, and I think people love that. Uh, Monster Cross is super hard, too. It goes through Pisgah, big climbing, um, where Dirt Diggler is a little more tame. You know, there's a 27-mile version and then a 42-mile version, Um, and a little smoother, you know. I think the cool thing about um, Dirt Diggler at the end, though, it ends on single track, which a lot of people love wait a minute single track minute. <laughs> it's four foot wide machine built but it's interesting because it mixes it up and it's not so long in fact a mountain biker on a mountain bike won this year's dirt Diggler gravel ground oh
1: wow wow
2: it shows you you know like i mean the, the efforts this guy did to hold on to the road sections in the gravel i, I couldn't believe what i was seeing from my vehicle driver i was like I, you know, because a gravel bike, I mean, is definitely faster than a mountain bike.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, for so sure. see this and watch the tactics of this guy unwind it at the end and get in the front on the single track and win just by seconds was like, wow. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Well, yeah, it sounds like that one is more of a, a mountain biker's gravel race. And, you know, you mentioned the other ones, Monster Cross. Obviously, that's going to be a tough one. It's got monster in the name. Belgian waffle, I always think of that like, oh, it's, you know, sweet and delicious and warm and fluffy, but yeah, it sounds like no, that's it's a suffer fest.
2: That waffle's got teeth, yeah, man. That's a that's a tough one dude. Yeah, that's a that's a tough man's contest right there. But it's well organized, um, has a great mix of gravel and road and
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, there's always people like I mean there's tons of people that like to do um just super long days in the saddle and yeah cool
1: well you mentioned that uh generally there aren't plans to expand or add new trails within the forest other than maybe some connectors here there a lot of rework being done so what what are kind of the plans to expand or improve trails and, and are there trails being built outside the forest maybe on private land or other areas like that in the future
2: yeah so um there are definitely some um, – it's interesting you asked that because um, there is a big push in Transylvania County in particular to go to our western part of the county to Gorges State Park, which is another fantastic park. has no trails in it, though. Hmm. And there's been a big push to put trails in there over the years to give some relief to DuPont and Pisgah. Okay. But nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. So, recently, um, there is a private owner that backs up to gorges that owns 92 acres that um, has trails in there that wants to improve them and then donate it to the conservancy for public access. So, um, you know, because, again, over in that area, there's just not a lot and there needs to be something over there. So, that's exciting. Um, Tons of private stuff going on. Tons of it. I mean, everywhere. Everywhere. But, but man, the most exciting thing that I think is going on is over in the Old Fort area. Mm. Um, There is a collaboration between the U.S. Forest Service and something called the G5 Collective Mm. that has put together and been working on now for five years a master plan for trails in the Old Fort area. And, And... I hope everybody's sitting down for this, but the master plan calls for 42 miles of new trail in the Pisgah National Forest.
1: That's incredible.
2: 42 miles. Yeah. So it's interesting. Again, if you stand back and look at the management of the forest service and look at everything we've been talking about today and how Brevard is a hot spot, mm-hmm. And then there's three districts of Pisgah. There's, um, you've got the, Pisgah District, which is Brevard, up to the Parkway, Bent Creek, Nashville, and then you've got the district we're talking about now, the Grandfather District, mm-hmm. which is Old Fort and up towards the Boone, and then you've got the Boone, which is Appalachian District up in that area. Okay. Okay, so three different districts, and the Grandfather District, it's interesting that the Forest Service looks at what's going on with Brevard, has nothing to do with Brevard, <laughs> and says, you guys have a lot of problems with, like, just we work together, but you know, the Forest Service is not Brevard, mm-hmm. but yet everybody's coming to the Forest Service. So by default, to the lands, the place. So by default, Brevard has this economic boom all of a sudden of like, how do? what do we do with all these people? Where do they stay? How do we, what do we do? Oh, my God. The roads are falling apart. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's interesting to me to see the Forest Service kind of come to the rescue in the lonely town of Old Fort, which is deprived of any business and has nothing, but is rich in the fact that they are close to Forest Service lands. So listen up, folks. If you want to buy any property, buy it in an old fort, because it is going to become the next Brevard. You are going to be able to ride out of old fort into the Forest Service and have 42 new miles on top of the 12 that are already there. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: And three and a half of this has already been built and the next phase will be done in 2022, supposedly. Oh, wow.
1: That's, that's awesome. And old fort, that's where Kitsbo is, right?
2: That is Kitsbow Hillman brewery just opened up there. Old fort is changing at an unbelievable rate. Mm. I, I, I can't believe it. There's a place called the Pisgah ride room or ride house that, um, has great food down. Old Ford has changed so much in the last three years. It's it's amazing, and to see what it's going to become, it's it blows my mind.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's awesome.
2: But that's very exciting news because uh, it's new trail in the four Service. Yeah, and the key is this: it goes back to a question you asked earlier. What type of trails are they building? Out of the 42 miles, 20 of it is beginner intermediate. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really different. And in fact, optimize for hand bikes, which is the bikes you sit on and use with your hands. Yeah, yeah. So, and then they have all the way up to downhill specific trails, all the way to stuff connecting up to Heartbreak Ridge at the parkway that's going to be uber gnarly. Wow. (laughs) So it is, it's a masterpiece. Yeah,
1: wow, that's yeah, that's exciting, and it sounds very right, really progressive as well in terms of thinking about all the different user groups and and taking all that's been learned over the years about what mountain bikers want, what they need, how to build it sustainably. Yeah, that's super exciting, and yeah, I can't wait to see what what they end up doing there. Yeah, it's super exciting. I I'm really pumped for that area and Forest
2: Service what they're doing.
1: Yeah, that's great well is there anything else that mountain bikers need to know before visiting pisgah national forest
2: no i think just come prepared and think bigger than normal you know pisgah has a reputation for being hard so make sure you have a solid plan and which route you want to ride and which direction you want to ride it Um, start small and get a taste of the Pisgah trails before diving in you know even into a 20 mile loop Mm -hmm. Uh, because, the, the, you know, the Pisgah National Forest delivers some of the best mountain bike in the U.S., but that's if you're looking for big climbs and technical. So right. just come prepared.
1: <laughs> right. Definitely. That's great advice. Well, Todd, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us and sharing a bit more about Pisgah National Forest and all the great mountain biking that there is.
2: Absolutely. I enjoyed our chat,
1: Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, you can get more information about events in the forest at blueridgeadventures.net. And you can also visit the National Forest website to learn more about the Pisgah National Forest and the recreational opportunities there. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.